This is why we love racing in all its forms. It's King of Swing fighting though. He's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untaps in front. Untaps holding on. What a win. Untap with the Irish MC in the cup. And it's very elegant. Ten group bumps. And now the greatest of them all, the Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. And it's great to have your company on Cracking the Codes this Saturday morning. I'm joined by only one of my co-hosts this morning, and that's Dan Malecki. Matt has left us again. He hasn't been here that long after his trip overseas, but, um, gee, he's leaving us again. But I'm very excited about the show this morning as I welcome in Dan Malecki. Good morning, Dan. Yeah, hi, Simone. Good morning to you. It'll be a bit of fun this morning. We're um, looking at horses, longevity and, and greyhounds in racing. Obviously, with longevity, it means they're around the stables and the kennels for a long period of time. But for some animals, it's uh, far harder than you think. If they're sound and they're happy, they love the stable and kennel life. And we're going to talk a bit about uh, some uh, from each of the codes this morning. Um, and we've got a bit, well, I was going to say a tear jerker. It's a, a bit confronting in some ways, a very emotional story, but with a very positive ending too with, uh, with Lance Justice and Love and Chevy. Oh, really looking forward to it. And for anyone that has seen the vision on social media, you'll know that it's very hard to keep dry eyes when you do watch it to see such a beautiful, magnificent animal just lying absolutely helpless um, under the care 24 hours a day of people who just wanted to see this horse overcome what he went through. We've also got Tony Henriksen from South Australia, Dan, and he trains a greyhound called Filthy Phantom who had his always. Having we're obviously recording this interview with him because the greyhound has a start on Friday night, um, but he's having his 306th start. So, Tony, we've had to record him a little bit earlier this week, but looking forward to the story about Filthy Phantom. Remarkable, a greyhound having over 300 starts. So it sets a little bit of a theme for today's show. And, Dan, you came up with a, a racehorse back in the 70s and 80s that um, was remarkable as well and had quite a long career. The most famous horse in one of the most famous Melbourne Cups of all time, 1976, Vanderham won the Melbourne Cup and got a bit of pack- a package about Vanderham. And then where he went to after that famous win in the bog at Flemington in November 1976. The 1976 Melbourne Cup will be long remembered by those who dared the elements and journeyed to Melbourne's famous racetrack on Tuesday, November the 2nd. Vanderhump's Cup was probably uh, one of the strangest and, and most remarkable. It was when you had this tremendous downpour just before the Cup. People went to their boots and got wetsuits and started jumping in puddles. There was a question of whether the race would be run. Most of the jockeys, when you talk to them afterwards, who were in the race, didn't know where they were. As post time drew near, the fury of the storm reached its full pitch. Thunder and lightning flashed across the sky that was black with fury. As far as commentators were concerned, it was a nightmare. It's Vanderham! Vanderham and Golden Black out after the leaders. Vanderham's moved up now with Golden Black and they're fighting the cup out. Vanderham's taken a narrow lead from Golden Black, Reckless and Happy Union. And now it's 100 to go. It's Vanderham in front of the Melbourne Cup. The Mudlarks got it won. And Vanderham draws away to win a length and a half to Golden Black. Vanderham swam home by two lengths. And jockey Bob Skelton was caked in mud. The actual scene in the mounting yard as the horses returned to scale, could be described as truly incredible. Horse nor jockey, recognisable, even by their own connection. And it was. It was incredible. They were just covered in black mud. Uh, and uh, there's some famous race calls, Bert Bryant's one in particular, and they're almost impossible to pick up on the TV. But Vanderham then went back to New Zealand, where he hailed from, and uh, six years later, six years after he won the Melbourne Cup, he was going over hurdles and winning feature hurdles in New Zealand. This was one of his wins. Vanderham with his ears pricked, coming to it now, up and over he goes, neatly, two lengths from Dark Purple under the whip, three back Purcell, down towards the last comes Vanderham, coming to it now, he's at it, he's screwed at it, he's over two lengths clear, Dark Purple went down and lost his rider there, Vanderham in front, Purcell's coming home strongly on the inside, he's three lengths from Vanderham though, and a popular victory, the great old bloke, he's there, the cup winner, Van Vanderham to win the money. 
1982, that was. And the next year, he was running over steeplechase fences in 1983. A remarkable horse. Even when I chat to Matt Stewart about it last week, he didn't realise he had a jumping career uh, six and seven years after he won the Melbourne Cup. But that's the theme for the show. In just a moment, we'll speak with our first guest, Simone in Lance Justice. This is RSN Cracking the Codes. Our guest this morning is Lance Justice. We're going to talk about a pretty special horse, loving a Chevy. He's been a favourite of mine for multiple reasons uh, throughout his career. And, and of course, a bit of the theme, is, as we've already spoken about, is the older horses, experienced horses, uh, horses that just love to be in stable life and be in work. And loving a Chevy is going to have his 201st start at uh, Melton uh, tonight. Um, so he clocked up the 200th uh, milestone last week. Um, but there's a backstory to it. He's not just a horse that has uh, had a, you know, a good run with health over the years. There was a period in his life that was, I don't even know if touch and go was right. It was probably more touch because he was bitten by a snake. And anyway, to tell us a bit more about that story and, and the positive outcome of it all is his trainer, Lance Justice, who's uh, joined us on cracking the codes. Lance, thank you very much for joining us, and I think you're going to enjoy the chat this morning. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Dan. Well, this fellow loving a Chevy, you know, for most people, see him go around week in, week out. He's a bit of an opportunist as he's got older. He's taken some big scalps uh, over his career. He's won 30 races, over $386,000 in prize money, and while he's probably as fit and healthy as he's ever been, he's closer to the end of his career now, not to say it's going to stop in the next week or so, but going back about six years, um, he um, probably, the likelihood was he was going to die. It seemed like he was bitten by a snake, and uh, things weren't good. Yeah, we, uh, he, he was, we found him, and he was down and, down and out and, uh, and got him to the vet, got two, two, rang out as many vets as I could to get the closest and fastest vet to us, and um, yeah, he. Uh, we looked at him, and uh, the initial prognosis was put him down. Um, but I, uh, I, I think his head up, and he was laying on his side, and his, one eye was very puffed where he'd been laying on the ground and, and thrashing all night or all morning, and um, the other side was really bright and looked like he wanted to live. So I just took the punt and said. Let's, let's have a crack. Let's, let's try and save him. There's some uh, um, footage that's been on social media. It's probably been around for a little while, but it resurfaced again in the lead-up to his 200th start last week and and this week. And, and look, I, I've probably got uh, turned into a softie as I've, I've got, got older, and, and so be it. But um, for, I, I think anyone would find it difficult to, to hold back tears in their emotions when they looked at some of the footage of what the horse had to go through, but also the love and the care and the efforts, the, the extreme efforts that yourself and Di and the team went through to to save him. Yeah, well, it, it was really, it was, it was one of those things I look back on, on it now and I think everything was going against us. I mean, he, he was down and, you know, when you get a horse that just lays on the ground and can't move, other than having convulsions, you know they're in trouble. Um we did stuff like, if you look at that thing, we put up, put air mattresses under him to get him up off the ground. We put a tarpaulin over the top of him to keep the first the rain off him and then the shade off him. Cause it was it was, uh, it was in the summertime. It was about early January, and it was the weather was changing from heavy summer showers to um, 40 degrees in the sun, and he was laying out in the middle of a yard, so we had to give him protection, but. Yeah, and the people that, that gathered and helped us with him, because he had 24-hour round-the-clock pension. There was always someone with him. We had to roll him over every two hours to stop fluid building up on his lungs. And, yeah, it was just a, a huge effort. And he, I think he appreciates us. Uh, he appreciates the fact that he's going around. He, he, we didn't never expect him to, to race again. We never expected him to have 10 starts, let alone 200 starts, or another, I think, another 170 he had since he... Um, since he's had his encounter with the, with the reptile. But, look, he's just been a marvel. And, you know, touching back what you said, he's taken some scalps. It was really... it was really. I looked at the end of the Dominion final when uh, Bronzel Benjamin yeah. uh, won the final. And then I looked at Chevy's last win was a few starts back, and he actually beat that horse in the 
race at Milton, and I thought, well, you know, I mean, he might be old and he might be, you know, to the end of his tether, but he can still beat the best of them on the right night with the right run. And he just amazes me every time he steps out and does it. Well, he won as recently as, as five starts ago, which is quite extraordinary. And he won at Milton. And this is the way that he did it. Love it, a Chevy. It's Jeremy Wells about a hit in front of Knights Templar. Yankee Gold looks to be going okay. Aussie Playboy awaits the run and then Lovin' a Chevy as they turn. It's Jeremy Wells joined by Knights Templar. Yankee Gold to the outside. In the straight, Knights Templar poked its head in front. Yankee Gold runs on. Lovin' a Chevy gets going. Knights Templar in front. Yankee Gold Lovin' a Chevy. It's the old Chevy out wide swapping them and Chevy gets up. Lovin' a Chevy's done it. Lovin' a Chevy with Shannon O'Sullivan beat Yankee Gold and in Third spot, Knights Templar from Jeremy Wells. And then came Joni in with... Well, Lance, those words over the line called by Dan, they're loving a Chevy. It must just be so satisfying for for you and the team at home. And look, when I watched that YouTube clip during the week, I, it's not even my horse. And I get choked up even thinking about it and talking about it now because I do have my own horses and I've been through not snake bites, but some pretty awful situations. But... Tell us how you got him back on the track. How did you get the work into him to get him fit again, um, taking it easy, knowing when to do a little bit more, when to back off? Like, it must have been just such a difficult process. Well, firstly, when, when, he, um, when he first got bitten, we, we never intended to race him again. We thought that it would be highly unlikely that he would live and that there was a big chance that he probably wouldn't race. He had he seemed to have um, neurological damage as he he would work and when we eventually got the horse up after about three or four weeks we got him to stand and he would just walk in a circle. And one day we thought oh, we'll let him just go out in the little front paddock out in front of his yard. Then he went ten yards, he saw another horse and tried to counter and he fell over. Oh, so so we, we we then had to go pick him up with the tractor, get him to his feet, walk him back to his yard. And I just thought then that, you know, probably the thought of him racing again is extremely unlikely. But in saying that, we we had him around the place and he was he got better and better. After um, 42 days, I had to pick him up every day with the tractor. And I said to him on the 42nd day, mate, if you don't start picking yourself up, we're going to have to seriously look at... You can't go your whole life me picking you up with the tractor. So, and the very next day I come out, he got himself up. So it was, it was like a huge step. And and after that, what we decided to do, we, we decided we would just keep him around the place. And he was around the paddock, and he was really starting to look well, and he was well. And I said to Jason Hackett at the time, I said, we'll put him in the cart and jog him a couple of laps just to see how he is. And we put him in and jogged him, and he was, like, you come back, and Jason said, no, nah, perfect. So... I said, right, I will, well, every third or fourth day, we'll give him a bit of exercise and we'll just gradually see how he goes with it and build his muscles back up. And then we um, we built him up and got him to the stage where he was actually, we, we hobbled him and fast-worked him and he was actually quite good. So we took him to the trials and we thought, we don't want to be getting anybody's way. We, we want to make sure that he's going to act, act the same at the trials as he does on the track. So... We sent him out in the trial. Jason drove him. He sat last. He followed the field around, finished 300 metres behind him, but we didn't want to pass the horse because we wanted to make sure that he was safe and he was going to be no hazard to anybody else. And uh, from there on in, the rest is history. He come out come out and started uh, getting better and better. And then Early on in his career, he was a pretty nice horse. And as I said, he's taken some good scalps. He's seemingly been like a, close enough to around that free-for-all mark the majority of his racing career. Was he a better horse early on? Like, were you thinking he was your next smoking up or, or Sokiola? Because this happened early on in his career. In fact, it happened early 2016 for memory. So that's six and a half years ago that it, it happened. And he's then gone out. You said he's probably had another 170 starts uh, since then. And I know it means nothing, the fact that whether he's better or whether whether he's not, just the mere fact that he's come back and won races is quite extraordinary. And he's won over $386,000. But um, does it matter if he, he, if he wasn't the same horse, yet still able to be a good horse after that? Or did he retain that the outstanding ability that he had with you before the incident? 
I always thought when I first got him, he was a really nice horse. I really liked him from the first day I met him. And I, I did the run before he uh, he went out. He actually um, he, he trained off and he needed a bit of a spell. But in his runs before, he'd done some huge jobs and he he sat fast and he sat wide. He'd run really good mile rates. So he showed enough promise to say that he was going to make open grade comfortably. And that's why we, we looked after him to give him a, a good spell. And he actually got bitten when he was in the spelling paddock. So uh, between you and I, he hasn't actually had too much spelling paddock since he was bitten. He, he tends to spell round home now um, because he's sort of a horse that, I don't know, he just likes to be round, round people. The only person he gives a hard time to is Diane is because when he was sick and he, he was in the sand and he had so many open wounds, from thrashing in the sand, that she had the job of cleaning them out every day. And every day, she'd have to take him, you know, come out and wash them and, and get the sand out of them. And it got to the stage where he uh, he didn't like his nurse that much. So he still, he still looks at her now as if she's going to hurt him every time she washes him. It's um, honestly, um, you know, we know the story. It's easy to talk about, but when you see the pictures and, and on the the trot site and a few other sites, I think it was Twitter and or Facebook, and the vision that is there, um, it's uh, it's really emotional for people that weren't even connected to this uh, horse, which makes it all the more amazing uh, for a his will to. Well, look, his will to survive, it's its not a surprise then that he's got a, a heart that wants to, to win races, but importantly, enjoy stable life because he's a much older horse now. What's he, 10, isn't he, uh, Lance? Yeah, and, and, he's 10. He's probably ready for retirement, but he, he seems to be racing well. And, and you know, the one thing he's had all his life since the snake bite, he's had issues with his front feet. He tends to, uh, he tends to have... Uh, not the most sound front feet. He's never worried him, but you just got to keep an eye on him. And and I don't know whether that's got something to do with the toxins going to the horse's feet. I don't know. But but um, you know, he probably he probably should retire. But Colin Croft, who owns him, he's had some really good horses in his time. He had Sophie and Marcovina and Uncle Patricia, and he's had some great horses. And he's you know, as much as Chevy loves to race, Colin loves to watch him race, and Colin would like would like me to race him more if I could. But I feel that if, you know he, he does a good job to line up once a week and and um, perform as he does. And he's been he's been good for a lot of people too, like young Shannon Sullivan drove the first Metro winner on him the other week, which is great for her. And you know, and, and he's just a he's just a, a lovely horse to have around. And he's just a lovely horse to deal with. And, and you're right, when you look at those pictures, and I, I look at the one where he's swinging in the air on the, on the arm of the excavator, yeah. and he wouldn't... We had all sorts of trouble. We made clings up to move him, but we couldn't get his legs to lock in. So when he'd stand, he wouldn't actually take his weight. And it took, it took uh, three or four days to get him to actually lock his legs in and work it out. And it was in a pretty bad way, that's for sure. But in saying that, there's one thing he never did. He never stopped eating, and he never stopped showing an appreciation look when you when you're with him. He, he always was pleased to see you, and he was always pleased to try and help you with his rehabilitation. Lance, like we've mentioned, it's just remarkable his recovery. But having had 200 starts as well, which is the the theme this morning, um, greyhounds and horses that have had many many starts, and two of your other horses, Sokiola and Smoking Up. 161 starts for Sokiola and 153 for Smoking Up. You've sort of got a bit of a, a trend happening here in the Justice Stables. Well, I always say to people that, you know, I've seen many a good horse in my life come through the grades or come come onto the racing scene. I think, well, that could be a champion. But they never make their full potential. They last a season or two seasons and, and they're gone because they either break down or they've trained too hard or there's something gone wrong with them. And I... I often say to people that, you know, at least I know what a good horse is like and I know when I've got one and I know how to look after them and I tend to be able to keep them going for a long time. And I always equate that to champion footballers and champion sportsmen, you know, that when you, we all, we've all know someone that 
that has got so much ability that they don't have to train quite as hard as the people that haven't got the ability. And I think that's the secret is knowing how good your horse is, finding out how good he is, working out your own head, and then training him to suit that so that you don't you don't lose all those race miles on the track. And that's what I've always tried to do. Smoking up won 74 races. Uh, Sokiola won 78 races. They're both still alive. And I was having a chat to you the other day. I talked to you about perhaps getting to the, the track, celebrating them. And, you know, they're, they're getting on, particularly Sokiola, and an opportunity for fans to come out and see the great horses. And talking to Kima Frenning, who we'll have a chat to in the ensuing weeks, about Tornado Valley and, and, and Lenny the Shark also in, uh, in, in retirement and, and getting that group of horses. I reckon it'd be a wonderful uh, draw card. Yeah, well, I was thinking both those horses won a Victoria Cup. So I was thinking maybe this, this coming Victoria Cup that I'd bring both of them down to the stables and, and let people see. And they're both in fantastic condition. They've both been spoiled sick. Um, I see them every day. They make me smile every morning when I, I, I say hello to them. So, you know, they're both enjoying their retirement. I think that they would both like... They seem like they would both like to race again. But, you know, I probably would like to have them in work when I look at the horses that are going around now and I think to myself, the horses that they used to compete against, they would still probably hold their own and still be superstars. Uh, Lance, the other thing, <coughs> excuse me, with your horses, Sokiola and Smoking Up, they're great names, but loving a Chevy, I think it takes one of the, the best names of all times, Mantle. Um, gee, it, it's just a terrific name, and I have never been in a Chevy, so I cannot say that I've ever experienced loving a Chevy, but where did the name come from? <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't really know. I mean, it was... Draw your own conclusions. <laughs> name before I got him, but I, I would imagine that's where it's come from. Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it, is, uh, it is a good name, and the amount of people have said to me, "Oh, look, loving the Chevy." Well, you know, probably over the years, there's been lots of loving the Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> Out of Chevy over, of course, the, the mother's name. But um, your sister, um, Joanne, we were talking about horses with a lot of experience and getting to a, a ripe old age. But you'd remember uh, Mr. Douglas a horse that she had, had over, uh, or actually I think it retired having had 300 starts, but it won as a 15-year-old. It was 15 years of age, Simone, can you believe that? And it won at Melton not that long ago. It was actually only 2015, but he was uh, he was a bit of a marvel. I mean, he retired at 16, so effectively he could have got his probationary driver's licence. He was a great horse, uh, Mr. Douglas. He stayed here with, with us for a while when Joanne was here. And I'm pretty sure I drove him quite a few times. I'm pretty sure I actually won on him. So, yeah, he was a great old horse. I mean, that's another thing, to keep to keep the old horses going around, to keep them sound and well. And and he was another horse that Joanne just trained him as an individual and didn't uh, overtax him. And he was just a great old horse. And I think the actual, the age, I think there was some sort of age restriction. Otherwise, he probably would have kept going around. Yeah, I think so. I think he had one or two starts as a 16-year-old. But he certainly won as a 15-year-old in about April of 2015, which is pretty extraordinary in itself. But there's been a, quite a list of, of harness horses. That The one that really comes to mind is Destreos. Um, he retired, and again, it wasn't that long ago, retired having had 486 starts. He won... 101 races, $828,000. He retired in February of 2020 as a 16-year-old, and his last win was as a 15-year-old. There's only ever been two other horses that have won over 100 races in, in Australian harness racing, and they were the great Paleface Adios and uh, and Kane Smoke. So um, that's pretty extraordinary. And you've got an example of one as well, Simone. I have. There is a horse in Queensland, and his name is Bromac Lance, Lancelot Bromac, I should say. He's had 466 starts, 32 wins, and 127 placings. He's still racing at the moment, Dan and Lance, and he's 13 years old, trained by Stuart Dixon. And another remarkable effort to keep a horse wanting to do the job as well. It just shows how much some of them just thrive on that routine and the exercise and, and racing as well. But 466, it's a lot of starts, and a lot of trials going. and still going. Um, it's quite remarkable. So horses love that work-life, Lance. I mean, I know I've heard plenty of times, whether it's been from you or many other trainers, that uh, the potential retirement of horses, but they tip them out 
to be retired and they just don't like the paddock life. Uh, there are some horses that much prefer the stable life, like being trained up. They like being in work. They like going on float trips. They like going to the races. And I dare say some of the horses that we've just talked about very much fit that bill. Well, it's like this. It's like, you know, their whole lives, they're pampered and looked after. I mean, I think uh, I had a conversation the other day with you regarding every everything that goes wrong, whether it's dental, whether it's uh, podiatrist, whether it's whether it's uh, vets. I mean, they're, yeah. they're they're on call. They've got all this 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 uh, on call, and they're looked after. They're pampered. They're kept warm. They're they're fed regularly, and then all of a sudden they stop racing, and the owner says, "Right, okay, let's retire them," and they throw them out into a paddock with no rug, no food live off the grass, find the water in the trough where you can, and that's about all the, all the attention they get. And that's, that's why they don't like being out there. And I've, I've never been one for selling horses for a long time because it's so hard to get a horse to where you want him to in his fitness and his ability-wise to, to uh, turn him out and just lose all that muscle tone. And all my good horses would have... And over the years, I've had quite a few. I can go back, Whirly Dream, like Pebble Hanno, smoke, uh, Smoking Up, Sokeo, all those old horses. I would only ever spell them for fortnight at a time. And in that fortnight, usually would come back to about 12 days. But I'd make sure that they were they were still kept in a situation where that they would have the protein and they would have the exercise if they need a little bit of exercise in the middle of a break and that sort of thing. So it's just, it's just, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to, um, to retire. Really, you look at all the horses, and the Hero Program's great, but I would love it if there was some sort of superannuation for a horse to retire because as much as I love the old horses and I keep them, it is a struggle sometimes with it. You think to yourself, oh, they still cost a lot of money to feed and, and maintain to that sort of standard where where they're not going to be suffering, and they don't deserve to suffer. But when a horse goes his whole lifetime and averages $15,000 every time he steps onto the track earning, well, that pretty big as smoking up here. You don't want to see those horses standing in a paddock not getting the attention. Lance, we've had this discussion many times on Cracking the Codes um, about some sort of superannuation scheme for horses because unlike a greyhound that, you know, their life expectancy may be up to 15 years, I mean, you, you can double that easily for a lot of horses and the room as well that's required to have these horses in their retirement and like you mentioned, you've still got to keep some degree of care. You can't just throw them out in a paddock, without a rug, without hard feed, their feet still need doing, their teeth need doing to ensure that they can, you know, get the nutrients from their food and all the rest of it. And we've spoken at length about that topic. Um, there's many people in the racing industry who are getting an income from the, the horses and the greyhounds that are racing, and that's your your CEOs, your stewards. There's so many people, and it's not at all suggesting that they need to contribute. Well, I think but it's more it the wasn't... betting companies, you know, and what yeah, they gain and the profits that they right. get out of it. Oh, I think they should be obliged. And don't get me wrong, a lot of them actually put some money back in, but specifically towards that sort of superannuation fund to help look mm. after the horses, those same horses in, in both codes and the greyhounds that have actually looked after their businesses for a long time. Well, they've provided them a wage and an income, haven't they? Mm. If it wasn't for you, Lance, getting out there on these freezing mornings and us going out and doing the dogs, well, you wouldn't have all these people with jobs above us if we weren't working these animals. It's certainly a discussion that needs to be had. There does need to be something put in place, I think, um, because it just it ends up the onus is on the owners then, isn't it, or the trainers and the goodwill, and it, your budget only stretches so far, but it doesn't mean that these horses should be denied a good afterlife. That's right, and there's, there's other other costs that come into it too, when eventually, as sad as it sounds, I had a friend who lost a horse a couple of weeks ago, a riding horse that she'd had all her life, and he died of old age, he was 29. And I thought, it sort of hit home when she, she said, oh, 29, I thought, well, Sophie's 27, so mm. um, you know, I've got to think about these things coming up in the next few years, and she had him cremated, and the cost of cremating was two thousand dollars. And, and you know, it's sort of, yeah, you, you've got to, you've got to treat them with the, the, the respect that they deserve. Oh, yeah, sure. just a bit of a, a twist on the, on the snake. I remember a time, oh, we're going back probably to the early 2000s, and I had an incident with a tiger snake on my doorstep at, uh, at home. And uh, I remember telling Lance about it. And um, I don't know if you know, Simone, but uh, most people aren't fond of snakes. 
Uh, I think Lance's um, unfondness for snakes probably goes to the next level. Um, and uh, he was shaking his head at what I actually did with the snake. And if I told you, you'd probably say I was a, I was a nutter and, and rightly so. But I, I thought the best thing to do for my family was to look after the snake, get it and just relocate it. You know, the, the council were not helpful at all. And, and I thought I, I can do this with the help of my wife, Tanya. Anyway, I remember telling Lance about the story and whatever. And, you know, he lives on a property, not far from where I am, but he's on the property. I'm in a, a suburban sort of half acre block. And it, it wasn't long, was it, Lance, before you had your own incident um, with a snake on your property? Yeah, exactly. I um, I got a truck here where we, we put the manure into the truck down the bottom of the, by the tree and then take it up to the paddock and spread it. And I jumped in the truck to start the truck up one day and I turned the key and the air brake alarm went on because it goes on naturally. And I looked as the air brake alarm come on and I thought, see, that's green and blue brownie hose. I haven't seen that there before. And I realised it was a tiger snake coming out with the dashboard at me. Oh. And, and I went to open the door and it, it wouldn't open. It actually stuck. And you know that, that thing they say to you about when you see a snake move really slowly? <laughs> That is complete rubbish. <laughs> because I reckon I was like that cartoon character. I was running before I even... I slammed the door the second time and I got out and I I had nightmares about it for weeks afterwards because I'd been taking Leilani out in that truck with me all the time and she'd be standing alongside me holding the, the, the Jesus bar. And um, that's where the snake came out. Oh, and... and uh, how long was it uh, abandoned for? Because you didn't go or anyone went near it. Didn't you dismantle it piece by piece? It took a long time. Whatever it was, that poor, poor truck was left to its own device. I don't even know if you closed well, the door uh, for more months. To the, more to the story, Dan. I actually I actually was down the bottom of the hill and I didn't want to take my eyes off it. So I yelled to Mum and Brooke and they were up there doing this from yards and I yelled to them to calm down. And then I said, grab a grinder. I couldn't, so I cut the door off the truck, doors off it. I cut the front off trying to find the snake. I put, um, I got a, a motorbike with a vacuum hose stuck on the channels to try and get the snake to come out. So I knew it was still in there, it hadn't come out. So I started driving a week later. I spoke to a snake expert and I started driving a week later. And I was driving, I, was, I just wasn't happy. So I got him to come out. I, I asked him if he'd come out and have a look. And he said, No, only if you find the snake. So I thought the only place I can't, I haven't been able to get is actually in the seat. So I got a knife and I cut the lining of the seat to wreck the truck. So I lifted it up and the snake was curled up under the seat. I'd been sitting on him for a week. <laughs> so, so, so I got the bloke to come and get him, and uh, he came out and he got him, and it was a huge. It was a four foot six female, in, heavily in pup, and he put it in the bag and he said, "Just take it down the road and, and let it go." He said, "You're not allowed to not kill that." So I put it in the back of the ute. I went and picked Lani up from school with, with in the back of the ute and it was jumping around the back. And I took it. We went down. We put it down, down on the Minns Road forward. We let it go down there. But, um, yeah, so it was a really exciting time. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard. I don't think there's any snake story that would ever top that, Lance. Um, I, I'm not scared of snakes. so They don't bother me, but I haven't had encounters like that as such. But I don't think... That's almost one of those stories that you, you just can't make this up. Oh, you just... had great pleasure in telling me I've trumped you now, Dan, after me telling my story with the, with the tiger snake. And uh, you got a bit of pleasure out of thinking that you might have just photo finished me out of the snake stories, eh? <laughs> I think that even just the size of it, because when you showed me how big your snake was, I thought, that's not a snake. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> bit of Steve Irwin, a bit of Crocodile Dundee going on there. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so... Look, and, and just to add to the story, I don't actually use that truck anymore. It's sitting over in the side of the yard. It's actually, yeah, about to go to the scrappy. But, I mean, it's uh, it's obviously a very nice place for a snake to get on a nice winter's day with the sun going through the windshield. And, and then we having... had a few birds that used to lay eggs in there, so I used to try and get in there and get the eggs, I suppose. Well, there's two stories about vehicles this morning. One's about the truck with the snake, and the other one's about having fun and love in a Chevy. <laughs> I, know, I think I know which one I'd rather be in, actually. <laughs> it wouldn't be the truck. <laughs> Not after that story, but that's, um, gee, that, that's an amazing story. I can't wait to see you now Saturday night, Lance. I'll be out on the track there and I'll be looking at Love in a Chevy with quite great admiration and um, taking a lot of notice of him because it will be, oh, it's just wonderful. Are you allowed to give him a pat when you're on the well. track or not? Um, only if, you're allow- if the trainers allow you or you need to hold them if they've got a... 
adjust some gear or put a head He's check worth on giving a pat to either before trial. or after the race, but yeah. uh, he is quite some story. <laughs> and uh, I reckon the sentimental uh, value will be uh, with him if indeed it hasn't already been for, for a number of years so far, Lance. So, um, yeah, great job with him and, and the work that you, the whole family did with, uh, with him. It went beyond uh, just being a horse trainer. And uh, uh, I think we're all rewarded in seeing how well and how healthy and how fit and how happy uh, the horse is now. And I'm sure there are many other stories similar to that across stables right across the country. So well done with that. Um, I could. Yeah. I'd just like to thank all the people that, that, that still have been in contact and cared about him. And, and even a couple of lady, a lady from New Zealand actually sent some money over to help with his rehabilitation at one stage. Um, not that we, we asked for it. She just, out of her own bat, made sure that she sent something over to keep it because she just loved the horse and loved the story and, and wanted to uh, contribute to, to helping him get along. Yeah, no, it's terrific. It's a, it's a great, it's a feel-good story, isn't it? It's inspirational. If the horses can uh, listen, obviously, Love and a Chevy did to you for quite some period of time. It should inspire the others that are in your stable as well. I'm looking forward to getting Sokiola and Smokin' Up out Victoria Cup night, uh, along with Kima uh, Franning and the, the Hero team and Lenny and, uh, and also Tornado Valley. So I think we've we got to push that. I think it's really important that we can do that. And the truth is, the way the open-class ranks are going at the moment, the four most famous horses are going to be those four horses that are parading there that night, Simone. Yeah, and they've also got pony trots on that night, Dan. The calendar came out during the week, so really looking forward to October the 8th at Melton because, um, yeah, the kids will be able to be out there in the pony trots too, so it sounds like it's going to be a, a ripper of a night. Yeah, we'll make it a good one. Lance, thank you very much for joining us again, reliving some uh, some wonderful stories, some humorous ones and some very sentimental ones, some important ones, so thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Simone. Speed, Filthy Phantom, Fave's going to hustle through and drive, held on the favourite, Filthy Phantom just from... Racing, Filthy Phantom jump well, he's going to muster through and keep the lead. Filthy Phantom though, he's holding on, Filthy Phantom too good. In front, Filthy Phantom, and Filthy Phantom goes on to beat its uh, Louie. Racing, clever man away, well, Filthy Phantom came out running, pushing up Alinga Chloe, hanging on, Filthy Phantom just can't get there. Alinga Chloe from Filthy Phantom, he ran a cracking race, didn't he, at start 300. What a, a terrific dog, Dan. Filthy Phantom. He's one of those greyhounds like with the horses that have had numerous starts, but 306 race starts um, as of Friday night. He had that that start as well. And, gee, what a, a remarkable dog. And joining us this morning on Cracking the Coach is his, to- is his trainer, Tony Henriksen. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, look, it's great to have you on the show this morning on Cracking the Codes. And what a remarkable greyhound he is. And he's showing no signs of slowing down. He's still very, very competitive at six and a quarter years old. Um, can you tell us about this remarkable chaser? Well, he's just he's just one of those, obviously one of those freak dogs, like freak athletes. He, he just loves racing and, you know, he, he gets really annoyed when I don't take him to the races. I take other dogs out and he, he just... Yeah, he just absolutely loves it. He just hadn't had any injuries, major injuries throughout his career, and he just goes around and around and <laughs> thrives on it. 35 wins, over 100 times he's finished either second or third. And yeah. and, and, a, and a name, I must admit, it, it's a bit of a catchy name, isn't it? Um, it's, well, you can't miss it. I reckon if you were listening to a race with only one ear and having no involvement, it would catch your attention, the name Filthy Phantom. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. Well, I remember when he had his first start, one of the stewards at Engle Park said, who the hell named it that? <laughs> <laughs> I bet that steward, he's been watching him for a lot of a lot of years and over many, many starts. And, Tony, we had Lance Justice on the show earlier who's had a Another number South of... Another South Australian. Ah, oh, there you go. Had a, a number of trotting horses that have been, or harness horses have had in excess of uh, around 200 starts. And he said the same thing as you. Some of these horses just thrive on the routine, thrive on stable life and, and the work. And it seems like this greyhound, it's just what he knows and it's what he's comfortable with and it's what he thrives on. Exactly. I, I put him up the runs some days with younger dogs, 18-month-old dogs next to him. He, he outruns them. He just keeps running. and looks at him and goes, is that all you got sort of thing? He's just, he's just amazing. Have you had to modify his training regime at all as he's getting older. You mentioned he's very sound, which obviously that speaks for itself with his record. But have you had to back off a little bit or do you find you have to even increase the work as he's getting older? 
no, nothing's changed over four and a half years. He just every, like I say, every week he just wakes up and he does what he does and goes back and lays on his bed and he's, he's very laid back at home. Like he he just lays around all day and if something goes on, he'll have a bark and go, "What are you doing?" And but other than, other than that, he just lays around all day. When I go to the racetrack, I get from killing dogs. He gets out last. He just lays there and sleeps, and then he's the last one to get out. Sounds like me to a little bit. Yeah. Or about how I'd like to be, maybe. So. Yeah, yeah, like good life, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> is there a like? Um, unless you get the opportunity, to, or the dog tells you. I mean, he's got to be a happy dog. That's the thing. Whether it's a oh, horse he's or or animals, he's, yeah. just, he's just happy as Larry. He's, yeah, he's amazing happy. Is there a, a limit age limit that they put on uh, the greyhounds now? Not that I know of, but I'm sure somewhere down the track they will. Someone will get their way and it'll be an age limit or a start limit or something. But at this stage, not as far as I know. I mean, I think as long as the dog's going around, he's happy and he's not getting hurt. And he's like, he he would, if I stopped raising him now, he would be devastated. He would, he would sulk and go into his shell and probably be a totally different dog. It'd be cruel to him, I think, anyway, but. Mm. And you would remember Green Lizard being a South Australian. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. retired at eighty-six months old, seven and a half, seven and a quarter years old. So definitely, there's um, still a good twelve months if you're going to get to Green Lizard's record in in his in age. But Tony, what do you? Is it race by race now, um, or, or do you have a plan for him for the next month or six weeks, a few months? What what what's your training plan? No, it's just race by race. Like, he'll let me know when he's had enough. He'll he'll taper off and go, well, that's about it. I think my legs are worn out. But he'll let me know. So it's just week by week. He, he goes around generally in, in Masters races at, and only at, at Gawler. He loves Gawler track. Doesn't go so well at Angle Park. And, and he and he loves Mount Gambier where I've been up here for the time grader, which is like the tier three type races. He loves Mount Gambier as well. So that's that's basically where he races now. And just, yeah, week by week. And the, the opposition is not... You know, it's not open class, and although the other week I put him in open grade at Gawler, but yeah. Those Masters races, though, I mean, they they must be terrific, great options. You know, from a welfare point of view, and you're talking about animals, firstly and foremostly, any trainer, anyone involved with, doesn't matter what animal it is, you want to have them happy. And um, uh, those Masters races must uh, must help a lot. These are you know, athletes, aren't they? They're, they're canine athletes, but they're still athletes. And, and the option... To you know, be like me playing tennis in the over fifties, you know, or, or from a certain stage in your life, life you st- still want to be active. I'm sure it's no different for the animals. Oh, I fully agree. You know, I, I played AFL Masters till I was fifty five. Um, it just, and I couldn't have played any other grade except AFL Masters. Just yeah, I wanted to stay active, like you say. So that's what it's about. And I'm, I love the Masters races. That all the dogs know what they're doing. You, you get. You don't get any well any any marring or anything like that. They all just want to chase. Generally, that's why they're still running around. I think the irony here, Tony, also is the fact that he's been a short course chaser. So you would expect if there's going to be more injuries or interference in races, it would be over the, the shorter courses rather than the longer ones. But it's worked in the opposite way for him, hasn't it? He's yeah. been very sound, hasn't had the injuries. Obviously, there's less toil on their bodies if they're running shorter courses, but that sprinting at the start, though, can take its toll on joints too. He's probably just one of those remarkable dogs out of the box that isn't really following any conventions or any way that you think should, things should perhaps unfold. Oh, exactly right. And he's very, he's a very smart field dog as well. Like he he seems to stay stay out of trouble or he won't barge through. He'll, he'll sort of push his way through. He won't, he won't go in a stupid place where he shouldn't be. So he's, just, he's a very smart field dog as well. And still competitive, still competitive yeah, yeah. at this age. He's running times at Gawler and, and at Mount Gambier that will, will still win grade five, grade four races. He, I think I think it was about about uh, back in November. I think it was he at Gawler. He he ran about six lengths outside the track record. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it, amazing! It, it is amazing, and you know what? It's still inspiring. I love that. I, I think it's fantastic that they can still perform and be so competitive. But enjoy their life, you know, just because you are a racehorse or a racing greyhound or a human being, as we just talked about, involved in sport. It's hard to take that aspect out of your life. Um, 
uh, fully, isn't it? Or there's got to be some sort of transitional period or the like. He must be popular around the tracks with the staff, particularly if he's going to the same track more often than not. He must be a bit of a, a bit of an identity. I would imagine, you know, if I was working there in the kennels or the car park or somewhere on the track at the boxes, um, I reckon the dog would, he'd know the people, wouldn't he? He does. He goes up. He knows who to go to, especially to get packs from, from the kennel staff and that. And like on uh, last week at Gore, he came out and didn't didn't make the lawn to do his to do his wee. And he and they said, "Don't do that. Baz can pee where he wants to." <laughs> <laughs> he gets the royal treatment as well. <laughs> Well, the other remarkable thing, Tony, um, it didn't actually play out as it perhaps would have everyone would have liked to have. But at his three hundredth start, he had he was racing in a, a race named after him. Yeah, correct. And then I got beaten by my partner. Oh right. <laughs> so you're keeping it in the kennel or the family? Well, that was probably the best result if he hadn't have won. But how's that? You know, you're having your three hundredth start in a race named after you. Um, yeah. You couldn't have scripted this any better. What? What a, a great story! You must be absolutely thrilled that you know you can look back on your training career and and even you know now and just think. You know, I'm pinching myself. I've got this dog that's had over 300 starts and I'm just having the ride of my life and enjoying it and everything just seems to be going so well. Exactly. I've never won any major feature races in my in my time, but this this to me is, is as good. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, no big dollars involved in it or anything, but it's just that to be able to be involved with a dog like him and the character that he's got and... You know, you wake up every morning, looks at you and just basically smiles at you. And just, it's amazing. It's, a, it's an incredible feeling. I mean, just imagine a really good photo opportunity with uh, Filthy Phantom and, and Flow Meter. If you if you follow the Gallops, Tony, Flow Meter, referred to as the fossil who just retired uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Galloper. And he had a race at his farewell race, um, uh, a race that was named after him as well. But, you know, two older horses got the grey beards, but there's nothing wrong with that either, is there? <laughs> That's right. I've got one myself. <laughs> and I'm pretty close behind you. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I can't. I can't join you in that league. I haven't started growing mine yet. <laughs> Tony, uh, what now? Like you mentioned, it's a, a, race, a week by week sort of a, a proposition, but just the same routine, same tracks, and um, just hope that he, he continues to be sound and enjoys racing. Yeah, he's he's actually he's a registered stud dog now. He's got two litters on the ground that are eight months old. Um, we've had them around the bull ring and. Nearly all of them chase and grab really hard, which is like he does. So, you know, it's hopefully, and I've got another bitch at home who's just come on season. He will go to her next week. So that's another exciting next stage, you know what I mean? It's just really exciting to have. I bred him from the start. I've had him since he was a pup, and then to keep that flow going is, is just amazing. Oh, it certainly is. It's what dreams are made of for many, many people. But, Dan, his sire, Lock and Varmalo, was one of Kevin, Kevin Gordon's. Yeah. yeah, we've um, Kevin Gordon's been a guest on this show a number of times. Tony, um, he's heavily involved with harness racing and on the board of Greyhound Racing in New South Wales as well. And all the the Lockenvar dogs have been his, or he's bred them or owned them. Um, like Lockenvar Art, he's terrific horse that he's got running around as well. So it's a, a great little tie in there in the harness racing, Dan. Yeah, 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 it is, Tony. And it's great to have, you know. Our show's called Cracking the Codes, which is, uh, you know, we infiltrate um, the, the three codes. And it's great to get people that have feet in, in you know, all of them or, or some of them. And invariably, you know, everybody has had some connection in some way, shape or form to one or the other codes. And, and it's great to, to learn from, even with um, with, with Filthy Phantom uh, Tony and you know to see where he's at and I find it inspiring it inspires me to think of you know the old dog can do it we're sure as hell I can too (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that but anyway (laughs) hey tell us usually with the the animals they have a bit of a treat uh, particularly with the greyhounds as you know I know some that love Vegemite toast and uh, others that you know love a cheeseburger on the way back from Macca's Um, has this dog got any nuances any particular uh, surprises and treats that he might get coming uh, back from the races? Oh, he quite often gets a couple of soft serves from McDonald's and he yeah. devours them like a, like a Panadol. They've gone in about two seconds. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's about it. It's just a soft serve McDonald's and he quite often gets spoiled with a nice big cow bone. We give him a lot of bones. He loves the bones. Devours them pretty quickly as well. Is that right? <laughs> he doesn't growl when someone comes around him when he's chewing on one of them? 
No, he just concentrates on the bone. Nothing else happens. Nothing else around him. <laughs> what's his What's his temperament like? His personality is he a little bit arrogant as a race dog, and you know knows the the traps, or is he still that really affectionate, docile type of dog? What is he a bit quirky? What's his personality like? Yeah, he's very affectionate. But um, like before every race start, I have to sit on a seat in the kennel house, and he jumps up on my lap to have a cuddle before every race start. <laughs> Um, and at the track, he, 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 has, he definitely has a strut, no doubt about it. He struts around like, look at me, look at me. But, yeah, he's a very affectionate dog. Oh, well, he sounds like he's entitled to strut around and um, that sitting in your lap. It just it just adds to the beautiful story that you've created with this dog. I mean, what a, what a dream come true, a once-in-a-lifetime dog. He might not yeah. be... Like you mentioned, you, you haven't had any massive group race successes, but um, when you've got something like this that you can reflect back on and enjoy all this time and over this many starts, it certainly would make up for it, I've imagined, I'd imagine. So it's been lovely having you on Cracking the Code this morning, Tony. Thanks for your time and talking to us about Filthy Phantom. And we'll be sure to follow his career and um, however far that goes. And, you know, he might get to the 350 race starts. It'd be... Amazing if he does, but it yeah. sounds like it's not even out of the question. At this point in time, I don't think it is, no. no. Well, we'll be. We might have to get you back on the show if he does hit that three hundred and fifty mark. No, no, I'll be happy to. And give yeah. him a pat for us. Yeah, for I sure. wouldn't do that. Big no puddle. <laughs> and maybe upgrade the ice cream from McDonald's to you know Sarah something Lee. like blue ribbon so, yeah. <laughs> 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 or a Magnum. He might get a better headpiece with a big blue ribbon, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, look, it's been great, Tony. So thanks again for your time on Cracking the Codes. No worries. Thank you very much. And that was Tony Henriksen talking about his magnificent chase, a filthy phantom. Dan, this has been a great show. I've loved talking to Lance about loving a Chevy and his two old horses smoking up in Sokiola and filthy phantom and just reflecting on some of these other greyhounds and horses that have had numerous starts more than just 100 i think when you're getting up over the 150 the 200 but even the 300 it's there's something very special about the whole relationship and how that animal has been nurtured throughout their racing life and i love hearing about these things i think it's it's wonderful yeah i think it is too and you know it's important that the horses get uh, and the greyhounds get looked after once they finish racing but also if they go on to racing at aids they do it for a reason and that's because they enjoy it because i tell you if they don't enjoy it they tell you and they let it be known um green lizard you mentioned before 223 starts he he retired at seven and a quarter years of age but he won 64 races there's been a few that have got way over that range it might even be worth uh, mentioning some of those greyhounds just before we say goodbye and you know um, thunder rama the west australia had 180 starts simone yeah then another greyhound called crazelberg 178 starts miss mini dozer 213 a greyhound called Owie, 172. Ballroom dancer who was trained in Little River, which was just up the road from me, 170 starts. And Galloping Graham, I think he is the highest Victorian greyhound with the uh, Victorian greyhound with the highest number of starts, and that is 250 for Robert Conway. So hopefully my googling searches have um, proved me right or served me well, one way or the other. But um, it's just been great reflecting on these, Dan. And um, yeah. another thing that I thoroughly enjoy, of course, every Saturday morning is cracking the codes with both yourself and Matt Stewart, who hasn't been with us to enjoy this this morning. But um, thanks again for another great show. Yeah, likewise, Simone. And we'll do it uh, together with Matt Stewart. Same <laughs> time, same bat channel next week.